We're continuing our series here on the Beatitudes, and this morning we come to the Beatitude that says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. May God help us all, and may he help me this morning. Amen. Hunger and thirst are strong terms, uh, and especially in the context that Jesus was speaking into, where hunger and thirst were very much an everyday reality in his culture. And so it's describing a craving, a, a deep longing, a basic need. But, of course, we don't just hunger and thirst for food and water. There is a, a hunger uh, deep in our souls, in the souls of every one of us, a deep longing, a fundamental need uh, to be loved, to be known, and to have meaning. It's a hunger that drives us to find satisfaction in things like wealth and possessions, in relationships and sex, in uh, success and our achievements. But the problem is that they don't really satisfy. They just leave us feeling empty. I've got now over 400 followers on Instagram. It's pretty good, eh? Mick Jagger, who was born 30 minutes from where I grew up, has 1.7 million uh, followers on Instagram. Also amassed a great, a huge personal fortune. Has been with some of the most beautiful women in the world. Uh, he is idolized by millions. He has everything he could want, including a knighthood. And yet, now at the age of 75, he's still singing can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> and sadly, that is the cry of our fallen world. And what is tragic, though, is when so many Christians, uh, those who profess to be Christian, are seeking after the same things. It's a bit like the prodigal son, you know, feeding on the empty husks uh, that the, the pigs uh, were eating. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They're the ones who will know true contentment, true satisfaction. It's what the blessed should be hungering after. It should be the longing and the passion of every true Christian. So for us to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to understand what the word righteousness means. All right, and it's a word uh, that comes up a number of times, actually, in the Sermon on the Mount. So, for example, at the end of the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus tells us that, um, you know, we might be persecuted because of righteousness, because of living like Jesus. He says that our righteousness should exceed that of the rule-keeping Pharisees. Uh, he says that God's people are going to act righteously, uh, including giving to the needy. And that above all, 
he says that we are to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and trusting that he will supply all of our needs. So what does this word righteousness mean? There are three main dimensions to it, legal, moral, and social. All right. So just briefly, legal righteousness, first of all. This is what Christ has provided for us. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We're, we're all guilty of wrongdoing, of going our own way, a way that the Bible says leads to death. We're all under the sentence of death. And yet because of great, God's great love for us, for mankind, what we see is that Jesus became sin for us so that through faith in him, we might become righteous. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21. It says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? It's what we call the great exchange, that Jesus took our sin on himself And he gave us his righteousness as a gift. And that is really the heart of the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins so that we might be made right with God. All right? So that we might be made right with God. That's the first meaning of righteousness. Made right with God through faith in Jesus. But that's not the kind of righteousness that actually Jesus is referring to here. All right, that we should be hungering after. Because actually, Jesus is talking about those who have already received this blessing. But having been made right with God, we should then have this desire to live right, to act rightly. And that's what we call moral righteousness. That's the second thing. Right? If we've received Christ's amazing gift of righteousness. And it, and it is an amazing thing, right? To think that we have been declared righteous, right? Not guilty. Even though we've done nothing to deserve that, that is an amazing thing. It really is. But having received that, to then fail to live righteously, in a sense, is to deny what Jesus did for us on the cross, It's to live as if we're not Christians at all. And sadly, that really is the the curse of superficial Christianity in our world. And so it's no wonder, is it, that people aren't attracted to the good news of the gospel because all they see is Christians eating with them at the pig trough of life. They can't see that there is something more attractive on offer that really does satisfy They can't see that there is something far more attractive. What is your life telling people? What is your life telling people? Is it your passionate desire to live God's way? Because if not, then we need to go back to the beginning of the Beatitudes and ask God to break our hearts. Because there's a progression that we see there, that we've been seeing. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy, who understand their need for God's help in this. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin and over the sin and the brokenness in this fallen world. 
Right? Blessed are the meek, those who know that they're flawed, but who are willing to stand against evil and trusting in the Lord while doing good. And now blessed are those who hunger and thirst to live right. right? May God give us, may God give me that hunger. Right? As Steve uh, just prayed earlier on, that really is one of the greatest blessings that we can receive from God is that hunger. That hunger for him, for his ways, for his righteousness. Right? I don't know about you, my appetite gets dulled. May God bless us with that hunger. But this is not just a personal thing. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness should also be longing to see God's righteousness prevail in the world. They are seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, longing to see other people made right with God. That's what evangelism is all about. But also longing to see the social justice that comes from God's righteous reign. And that's what we call social righteousness. That's the third type, social righteousness. So John Stott in his commentary says this. He says, Biblical righteousness is more than a private and personal affair. It includes social righteousness as well. And thus Christians are committed to hunger for righteousness in the whole human community as something pleasing to a righteous God. And a major aspect of that social righteousness that we see throughout the Bible is the righteous treatment of the poor and the oppressed. A hunger and desire to see things made right in a world that is full of injustice. And that's the particular aspect of righteousness that I want us to focus on now because it's very close to the heart of God. And when we hunger and thirst for this, okay, when we give ourselves to this, then God promises that our desires will be satisfied. That actually will become like an oasis, a well-watered garden, he says in Isaiah 58, in the desert of this world. And so... Let's turn now, if you will, please, if you have a Bible to Isaiah 58, because I want us to see that uh, in this important chapter. Just to give you fair warning, okay, uh, as we read this, this may come as a bit of a shock to you, all right? Just to give you fair warning here. We're going to read the first three verses of Isaiah 58, and this is uh, what God tells Isaiah. He says to him, cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. And yet, God says, he says this about his people. He says, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment or the commands of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments or righteous decisions, and they delight to draw near to God. And so the people say in response to God, well, why then have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves 
and you don't take any notice of it. Now, God is saying here, all right, that his people were regularly seeking him, right? They, they would have gone to the temple regularly to worship. And part of their worship was fasting on these special days, like before Yom Kippur, you know, the, the Day of Atonement. And so these, to translate it into our terms, I mean, were committed churchgoers, all right? They also appear to be morally righteous. He says they delighted to know God's ways. They no doubt read their Bibles, and he says they didn't forsake his commands. They were praying. They were asking God to make righteous decisions, right? This is a people who really do seem to be hungering after righteousness, And what's more, they love to draw near to God. They love to be in his presence. This sounds like a great church. This sounds like our church. But here is what is shocking. Right? God says to Isaiah here, lift up your voice. He says, cry aloud to declare to my people their transgressions, their sins. And these people are shocked at this, as we would be. They say, well, what do you mean? We've fasted. We've humbled ourselves. You've paid no attention to us. Why aren't you answering our prayers? I mean, we're doing everything right, everything that we're supposed to be doing. And the Lord says to them, no, you're not. Let's read on in verse 3 of Isaiah 58, verse 3. It says, you... Seek your own pleasure and oppress your workers. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Again, let me just translate that into our context, all right? It's like God saying to them, yeah, I see what you're like in church on Sunday, but I also see what you are like on Monday in your workplace, Right, in your homes, the way that you live for yourself, right, your unjust business practices, your angry attitudes towards other people, your, the harsh way you deal with them. See, the point being, if your attitudes and behavior are different on the Monday to how you appear on church on a Sunday, then you are not hungering after righteousness, You are a hypocrite. And on top of that, God then tells them what kind of fast he was actually looking for. He's saying, like, you want to know what you should be hungering after? Well, this is what I'm looking for, says the Lord. Now we're going to read from verse 6. He says, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer, talking there about the foreigner, about the refugee, the migrant, with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Incidentally, he's not talking there necessarily about his, your own family relations. He's talking about turning away from your fellow human beings. God's people thought that they were doing everything right. But God was saying, if you think you're right with me, 
but you're not right in how you relate to the poor and to the oppressed, then you're mistaken. And why would God say that? And it's not the only place where he says it. I mean, you find this right through the Bible. Just to give you one other example in uh, Zechariah 7 verse 9, where God again questions their worship of him. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And it's not just in the Old Testament because we find the same theme in the New Testament. Okay, When Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, we see in Matthew 23, he says to them, listen, he says, you tithe your mint and your cumin. Right? You, you tithe your herbs and yet you neglect weightier matters like justice And mercy, you hypocrites, he says. And then Jesus told a story about two groups of people on the last day. And to one group he says this, Matthew 25, verse 34. To one group he says, come you who are blessed by my father and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then if you read on to the other group, he says, depart from me. Because when I was hungry, you did not feed me. But Lord, they say, when do we see you hungry? He says, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. That's how much God identifies with those who are at the bottom of the ladder. And just to make it explicit, in Proverbs 14, verse 31, it says, whoever mistreats the poor insults his maker. But if you're generous to the needy, it says, then you honor the Lord. Right? God identifies himself with the needy, with the downtrodden, with the disadvantaged, and with the oppressed. And he says to us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But the problem is, if we think that that means just being in right relationship with God without acting rightly towards the poor and disadvantaged, then we're mistaken. Right, Because that's who God identifies with. That's where you'll find God. It's like God is saying, if you don't have a relationship with them, then you don't have a relationship with me. Wow. That's shocking. 
But you see, the truth is, if we don't share the blessings we've received spiritually and materially with those who are without in the world, then we are being unjust. Right? I was blessed to be born where I was born. I was blessed to have the education that I had. I was blessed to have access to food and clean water growing up and good sanitation. Right? One in nine people in the world do not have access to clean, safe water. One in three people do not have adequate sanitation. I was blessed to have a roof over my head, clothes to wear. One in, three, sorry, one in five people on the, in the planet do not have adequate shelter. That's over a billion people. I was blessed to have a place that I could call home, troubled though it was. But when you think compared, you see, to the 68 million people who have been forced from their homes, including 25 million refugees, over half of which are children, and then the 40-plus million victims of human trafficking, 75% of which are women and girls. That's forced labor and sex trafficking. I am blessed today to have a family and to be part of a community like this when so many people are lonely and isolated and shut in. And I have been blessed throughout my life to have many opportunities to hear the gospel and come to know God compared to the one in four or two billion people on the planet who have no opportunity to hear the good news. Right? We are the privileged ones. And the Bible is clear. If we don't share the privileges that we have received with the less privileged, if we just keep it all to ourselves, then we are being unjust. We are not being righteous. But if we're prepared to seek justice and to speak up for those who have no voice, if we'll bring comfort to others rather than just living for our own comfort, if we'll share our bread with the hungry and give shelter to those who need it. In other words, if you will share your resources with those who lack them, and not because you have to, and not because you ought to, right, but because you want to, because you want to, because you long for things to be made right for people, then this is what the Lord says. Isaiah 58 verse 8. Your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. And you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And it won't be a burden to us to do these things. It will be our joy. Right? It will be satisfying. Because, you see, that's one of the paradoxes of Scripture, uh, that as you pour yourself out, you become full. Right? As you give away, you get more. It's like a spring of, of living water that just keeps overflowing. And that is what we find in Jesus. That doesn't come from us. That comes from him. Dutiful religion will never produce that. Right? When we are seeking to make things right out of a sense of duty, or out of self-interest, 
you know, to relieve our sense of guilt or to make our, ourselves feel better. Okay, when we do it out of that our motivation, we will never be satisfied. We'll quickly burn out. We'll become resentful. It doesn't last. But if it's our desire, because of Jesus, because of the eternal blessings we receive in him, because of the overflow of his spirit in us, then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. They will be satisfied. I just want to say um, how privileged I feel to be a part of this church where so many are involved in so many different ways uh, in serving the needy and the underprivileged. And not just in our own communities, but in other parts of the world. I mean, that offering we took at Christmas to support uh, the ministry of those working with uh, those trafficked women in Mumbai that we sent Carla with that gift of money to. Um, I mean, that, I really do believe, just reflects the heart of God. And I just feel uh, it's a privilege to be part of a church like this where that is the heart. And may God increasingly make that our heart. May he increasingly give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness for his sake. Amen. I just want to ask Ray Forsey now just to come and share about a new initiative that's being launched here to reach out to people locally who may need our support. So can we just give Ray uh, a warm welcome? Good morning, everybody. So some of you might have heard about our Act 2 Cafe, which we've been running as a pilot Every week right here in the lobby, we transform the place, setting out cafe-style tables with cloths and candles. We set up our bar with coffee and treats, and voila, you have Actu Cafe. But you know, we're not just here for the treats. And while the treats are really, really good, we have a vision, and this is our new logo, which says that we want to see people connected to community. Because you know, isolation can really contribute to anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, and those things also contribute to isolation. So to provide a place where people can feel a sense of belonging and experience grace can be really powerful and actually life-changing for everybody involved. And Ian asked me to just to tell a couple of stories from a cafe I was privileged to be a part of when we lived in Connecticut. It was a mobile cafe. First of all, we were been planting the Bridge Church down in Connecticut in white, wealthy Wilton, which is like a suburb of Manhattan, basically. When God spoke to us and said from John 21, you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. And he also spoke to us through Isaiah 58, which is like a life scripture for us. And basically, he was directing us to go to the city neighboring us, the city of Norwalk, which is very diverse and very poor, people in our town considered them those people, and people in that town considered us those people for sure. So we asked the Bridgeport Rescue Mission for some advice because basically we were clueless as to what to do, and they offered us their food truck, and they would provide the food if we would go to feed the hungry in Norwalk every week. We felt like we'd gone to them asking for a loaf of bread and they gave us a bakery. 
we were all really strapped, raising our young families. The men had big jobs, but we really felt like we had been praying and fasting and asking God for direction. And if we didn't do this, really, what would our faith be? It would just be useless because this is what God was telling us to do. So here we are on the first day of the setting up the truck there. We served every Sunday after the meeting approximately 140 meals a week for 10 years. Um, there are some of the people that we first met at the top, Rosa and Anne, Anne in the white, who called me every week until she died just last year, and then Rosa with her husband, Julius. And you know, as we got to know people, we really longed for a place where we could spend more time chatting to people and out of the cold of winter. So we rented a shop front and we ran a cafe out of its basement. So the next slide, here's the cafe. Very, very simple. Actually, those tables are the tables that we're using for the cafe here. <laughs> um, in the middle there, that's Marta and Luis. They were guests at the cafe. They came early every single time to help us set up. At the bottom there, in the middle, that's James. Very, very severe physical limitations, but he walked on his canes to the cafe every time we met. And that's us serving a big Thanksgiving meal down at the bottom. And then there's Lena over at the right with her three children. They became part of the church. We also had evening things. The next one is our, this is our big Christmas party. This is the snowman game. That was the finalist, wrapping people in toilet roll. And the next one, this is our dance party. That's me up in your top left singing We Are Family. I've got all my sisters and me. That's the leaders on the very right singing Reach Out, I'll Be There. And the two ladies at the bottom middle were kind of arch enemies living at the shelter until they came to the cafe where they learned to be friends. But, you know, what I've learned is it's never about the project that you do. It's always about the people that God wants you to love through the projects that you do. And I want to tell you just about two people who became sorry, part of our family as a result of Isaiah 58. People who I would never have met had it not been for God's direction. So leave that slide up for now, Ben. But the first one is James, who came to the cafe, James Rodriguez. He was homeless, he needed a job, and he needed help filling out job applications, which Gareth and Dennis did with him. So he had an interview coming up at Walgreens, but he, he wanted a suit for his interview. Do you know how much I wanted to buy that man a suit? But that was our policy. We didn't give money. We didn't do that thing. I said, James, what we can do, though, is we can pray and we can ask Jesus to send you a suit. We did just that. And then he um, came the next week but we had no suit. So he was sitting there having lunch, and I was just chatting to him, and a lady came in with three boxes of donations. I'm so sorry. At the bottom of the final box was this necklace. This suit. And there's James. It's being hemmed by one of our volunteers there and then. There was a suit and a shirt, everything in his size. And he got his suit for his interview. Well, he'd experienced, you know, the faithfulness of God in answered prayer, and he got saved, and I wanted just to read you his testimony, if I can manage it. In his words, he said, It seems to be that every time I come to church, I feel different. I feel like my heart is becoming like that of a child, like a child being loved, and it just wants more. And when I come to church, I feel like I'm getting more. And when I leave, I'm already thinking about coming back. I feel like my heart of stone is being chiseled away, and I feel more energetic and more alive. The weight that was on me was lifted, and I love that feeling. 
Coming to the cafe, I feel the love and the feeling like being part of a family. As we prayed, I gave my life to Jesus. I felt something different in my life that I had never felt before. I felt heat in my body, especially the area where I had been diagnosed with gallstones and sometimes felt pain. God healed me. Mm. So he got the job at Walgreens and was able to get himself into an apartment. Then he got promoted to manager of his section, was able to buy a car which he shared with his daughter. In community group, when we would do the storying, he would be very silent. And as I asked the questions, he would never answer a question, but I could see him mouthing the answers in the back of the room, only for us to find out that every Thursday, after being at CG on Wednesday, he would tell every single co-worker the story that he had heard the night before. Margaret would have loved him because the moment Celebration Northeast Dates came out in January, he would book the weekend off work there and then. And every week, he would give me money to put in an envelope to make sure he had enough money to pay his own way to go. And you might have seen him there up until just a few years ago when he died. Mm. And then there's Rosa. And she's the first person that we met. Yes, her husband was lying on the ground. I thought maybe drunk. He was actually so sick that we wondered if he would last the winter being outside. Chris Chilvers, who you see in the bottom right, worked tirelessly with housing, and Rosa and Julius were eventually housed. After the church paid for a spell for them to be in a motel while we waited for the house to come because we really thought otherwise he would die. Well, they decided to follow Jesus, and when I was setting up the cafe, she was there with me cleaning, organizing. She became like our setup queen. She would iron the clothes in the clothing room that we had, understanding that that would give people dignity. But if you stepped out of line, she would let you know. The cafe guests really, really respected her. You know, um, we, we just became family, despite our worlds being so far apart. Because faith in Jesus does that, right? It breaks down barriers between people groups, socioeconomic groups and race groups, etc., so when Rosa developed a bad cough, which wouldn't go away, I went with her and Julius to Yale, and the PET scan showed lung cancer. But what was amazing to me was when she had her radiation treatments daily for about a month, each lady in the church undertook to take a day of the week to save her going on public transport, which would be like a three-and-a-half-hour round trip, you know, with the treatment. Just pick her up, take her, wait with her, pray with her. You know, it's a beautiful thing. And then one time I got a call from the nurse at ICU. She'd been admitted in the middle of the night and asked me to come. So I went down, and Julius was there too. And she said, oh, you can't come in. It's only family. I said, well, I'm her sister. <laughs> so they looked at me. They looked at her. They looked at me. They looked at Julius. And he said, yep, she's family. <laughs> and the woman said, oh, put on the mask and the gown and go in. And she actually made a recovery from that. One time I arrived and she was just being sent back down to her regular room. I thought that was great timing. So I saw her settled in, waited for Julius to come. But in the middle of that night, I got a call from Julius, which said, it's Rosa. They said, we have to come. So when I got there, they explained that she was as sick as you could possibly be and still be alive. And they would set up a mobile trauma unit around it to try to save her life. And I had to tell Julius, maybe an hour later, her time is coming to an end. There's nothing that they can do. Well, I had the privilege 
of being with her until the very end, holding her hand, stroking her arm, praying over her, and playing Motown songs to her on my iPhone, because that's what we did on the way to the cafe. We would sing at the tops of our voices. And I was saying to her, girl, you are getting to go to the party early. Because, you know, in life, Rosa would never say goodbye to you. She always said, so long for now. And she said, because, you know, Ray, whatever happens to any one of us, I will see you again in eternity. And she was right. During that two-year period at the cafe, 43 people decided to follow Jesus, Mm. about half of whom died like months, sometimes days later, but now I know that they would spend eternity with their father in heaven. And you know, doing those things was life-changing for all of us, not just for the people that we were supposedly providing for. It was life-changing for us. We became family. And I think that's what happens when the people that God loves become the people that you love. It's when those people become your people. So for our Act 2 Cafe, who knows what God can do? All right, it's a place for anybody to come to find some company. We'll be launching properly in September. I can tell you another time what you can do to help. But I just think the possibilities are endless to provide a place of belonging where people can experience the grace of God. Amen. Come on, let's stand, shall we?